Have you ever noticed that in uncertain times, God has a tendency to get our undivided attention? I mean, maybe it's the loss of an important relationship or a job loss or an illness or even a big transition in life. We often begin to pray, maybe for the first time or maybe after a long time. There's just something about uncertainty that causes us to look up instead of simply looking around. Many of you remember U.S. Airlines Flight 1549 uh, that 11 years ago crash-landed into the Hudson River, or you may have seen the movie about it entitled Sully. The movie is about Captain Charles Sullenberg, Chelsea Sullenberg, who made an emergency landing in the New York's Hudson River after U.S. Airways Flight 1549 struck a flock of geese and miraculously all 155 passengers and crew survived. And in one of the many interviews afterwards, uh, they asked the crew in one of the interviews, what was going on in the plane? And one of the flight attendants said, well, it was very, very quiet. And it seemed like most people were praying. And I think I bet they were. And it's funny now. Obviously, it wasn't funny then. And then she said that she was praying. And the interesting thing is they didn't have to make an announcement. Uh, this is the captain speaking. In case you didn't notice, we have turned sharply and now are plummeting to the earth. If everyone would now please pray to whatever or whoever you believe in. I mean, they didn't have to make that announcement, right? In fact, if you've ever flown on a plane and experienced bad turbulence, isn't it amazing how spiritual you are? I mean, you're not worried about the guy who didn't finish the project on your house on time or about the stock market. You're not mad at anybody. You love everybody. You're confessing everything. You have forgiven everybody. All of a sudden, you are as holy as you have ever been. When life is spinning out of control, our natural tendency, not for all of us, but for most of us, is to move in the direction of God. In fact, if you're someone who you think back and you'd say, you know what, that's true of me. That's true of me. God gained or regained my attention during a difficult time. Maybe it was something to do with your finances or your health or your family or work or something. Would you just give a hands up emoji in the compliment uh, in, in the comments or just click the thumbs up and say, yeah, that was me, that God got my attention. Because God gets way more done in our lives when things are uncertain than when things are smooth, doesn't he? I mean, God gets more done in the bumps along the way than in the wrinkle-free, turbulence-free, paved roads of life. I mean, basically, we don't learn anything when things are going well, do we? You learn the most about yourself. I learn the most about myself. You learn the most about life and about your Heavenly Father when things are difficult. In fact, most of us, if you think about a time when you drifted from God, we generally drift from God when things are basically going our way. I mean, there may be bad things you experience that make you question God, but even in questioning God, you're still tuned into God and turned in God's direction. That's why this gathering of documents that we refer to as the Bible is so incredibly relevant to our lives now, today, because all of this was written. Every story happened in times of great uncertainty. This is a record of God's faithfulness in uncertain times, God's faithfulness to faithless people and to grateful people. Your favorite Bible story, if you have one, even if your recollections only come from childhood, childhood Sunday school or church camp, the Bible story that you know best is a story of conflict. It's a story of, oh man, what, what's going to happen? It's a story of, is God going to come through? And this is the record of men and women and children 
who somehow found God and discovered God's hand in activity amid uncertain times. This is our story. This is the record of what our God does. And if, if ever there was a time in your life and mine where this gathering of documents is relevant, it's now in 2020 and all that this year has entailed. So we launched this series last week, How to Maintain Hope When the World Seems Hopelessly Broken. And we're calling it that because there are times that as you look at your life and as we look at our nation and social media and the 24-hour news cycle and our culture and our economy, the world right now, you can easily wonder, is God active at all? Does God interact with the affairs of man? Does God intervene? Is he just too busy with other things to care? Is he just out there somewhere? And as you come to what we refer to as the scripture, the scriptures, these documents that make up the Old and New Testaments, we are reminded that what we are experiencing from a biblical perspective is normal and even to be expected. And consequently, we in reality have nothing to fear because God hasn't changed. And what we find over and over and over again in Scripture is that God is an expert of taking care of his people during uncertain, uncertain times. Now, I'm going to show you a verse that defines the direction for where we're going today. It's Romans 8:28. And when I first read these words, they're going to sound naive or ignorant or even stupid religious talk. But just hang in there. Romans 8:28 says, And we know that in all things, all things includes a pandemic a job loss, bad doctor's report, that unexpected phone call or financial hit, uh, someone you love falling ill, a difficult teacher in school. Will I ever find a husband or find a wife, a miscarriage, or I don't know what to do with my future. Will my house sell? Will my parents have to move in with us? Where's my son? Where's my daughter? My, my marriage is falling apart. We know that in all things, God works or is at work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So the, these, these words combined with all the stories and accounts throughout the Old and the New Testaments reflect a fact that many of us have discovered in the past that God is always at work and that he gets more done in the uncertain times. But here's the question that I want to answer today. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? What are we supposed to do while we wait for God to do something and to answer our prayers? What are we supposed to do when the uncertainty becomes more uncertain and things just seem to be going the opposite direction of what we think it should be? When it seems that God isn't answering our prayers. And the great news is that there is a very, very specific answer that we find in the New Testament. They are written by the same man that penned the words, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to follow along in these verses. You can even push pause and go get one. Uh, these words are found in the second half of your Bible in the New Testament in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Now, this book is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And though some of you may know a lot about Paul, many don't. And even if you do, sometimes we need a reminder because it's the life of the Apostle Paul that gives these verses credibility. Now, for a bit of context, as many of you know, Paul stepped onto the pages of history as a hater of Jesus followers. He set out to wipe them and the movement from the face of the earth. But then he had a face-to-face -face with the risen Jesus, and he went from church destroyer to church planter. 
And then years later, Paul was starting churches all around the Mediterranean rim and was somehow able to prove and convince primarily Greek and Roman people that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior, not just of the Jewish people, but of the whole world. And he started all these little churches all around what we would consider Europe. Now, the problem was Paul was telling mostly non-Jewish people, you can worship and worship and be loved by the Jewish God, but you do not have to become Jewish. You just accept the Messiah and you're in. Now, this infuriated the Jewish leaders because they felt like he was corrupting and hijacking uh, Judaism. Uh, over time, he goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, one time, he goes back to Jerusalem, which uh, was the hub, and he goes to the temple. And some of these leaders, who he is really offended, call for action. A mob attacks him. They drag him out of the temple, and they are about about to beat him to death. They are so angry. Well, somebody calls the police, which happens to be the Romans, and the Roman guard shows up, and they pull these guys off Paul, and they arrest him basically to protect him from the mob. Well. The same leaders trump up all these charges, uh, the leaders that incited the mob, they trump up all these charges and they say, hey, you've got to get this guy out of here, he's broken the law, he's offended God. And Paul, somewhere in the midst of all this chaos, he mentions to one of his captors, hey, by the way, I'm not only Jewish, I'm a Roman citizen. Well, suddenly a different set of rules kick into place because he's a citizen. So they send Paul to Rome for trial for these ridiculous charges, primarily because they're just trying to keep the peace in Palestine. So imagine, because he's been faithful to God's call in his life, he is under arrest. Well, they put him on a ship to go to Rome, and on the way, a storm comes and blows them out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea for two weeks. I mean, imagine being chained to the bottom of a first century ship in a storm, and for two weeks, they're lost. Then the storm drives them into some land, and they are shipwrecked for three months. He's chained to a Roman guard while waiting to go to trial. Somebody says, hey, Paul, tell me about your hard time. And Paul says, okay, I'll tell you. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked, and I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, from fellow Jews, from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Well, Paul finally ends up in Rome. He's put under house arrest, and he was so far down on the list that it took over two years for his trial to even come about. And this whole time, he's under arrest. And then two, maybe three years go by, and they come one day and say, Paul, let's go for a walk. They walk him outside of town for about three or four miles, maybe just three or four people with him, and they behead him in private. And that was the end of the Apostle Paul. But while in prison, he begins writing letters to all these churches that he's planted throughout Europe. So this letter that we're going to read from is one that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And what he's about to say seems utterly impractical and almost nonsensical. And yet, the source is, is Paul. 
And whatever your difficulty is right now, you wouldn't want to tell your sad story right before Paul got up to tell his. And he is writing about dealing with uncertainty. And specifically, he helps us know what to do in the meantime, during times of uncertainty. So this is Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what Paul says to do. (laughs) Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. To which we go, okay, Paul, time out. Just stop right there. You clearly don't understand what's going on in my life. But he doesn't say rejoice always. He adds three little words. Rejoice in the Lord always. What does that mean? Well, if I were to take out in the Lord and put in something else, you would totally get this. If I said rejoice in your new job, rejoice that you still have a job. Oh, I understand that. Rejoice in your new car. Rejoice in your investments or your retirement accounts that they're actually improving from like four months ago. Uh, Rejoice that they called you back. Rejoice that they said yes to a date. Rejoice that you're engaged or that you got the scholarship. Rejoice that you got a promotion. Rejoice in the fact that you didn't get laid off or rejoice that you're going to have a baby. I mean, all of us know what what it means to rejoice in something. It's to focus on a piece of good news to the point that the emotion associated with that good news, it begins to wash all over us. And it's obvious to people around us. They go, wow, you're so happy. Why are you so happy? Paul says, look, I want you to spend whatever time is necessary to capture the emotion associated with the fact of God's grace and mercy and love in your life. I want you to stop. And I want you to let the reality of what God has done for you focus on it so much that you actually begin to feel the emotions that should be associated with such good news. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, I say rejoice. And this means to reflect on God's goodness and mercy in your life until your emotions catch up with that reality. Now, the reason this is so important for Americans is we don't stop to rejoice in the Lord because we have so many other things to rejoice about. I mean, we've got stuff and cars and homes and electronics and toys and so many other things that capture our joy and they bring us joy for a short time. But then we either experience buyer's remorse or we experience the law of diminishing returns. And over time, things get harder and harder. And no matter how much stuff we have or get, it comes up short. And we find fewer and fewer things and circumstances to rejoice about. So Paul says, maybe, maybe it's time to refocus your joy on what it should have been on all along. Paul says, even though I'm in prison for doing good, I rejoice. Even though things aren't going so well for you, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And then verse 5, let your gentleness be evident, your character, your kindness, let it be evident to all. Paul's point is, if your joy is only associated with good times or good circumstances, then as those circumstances erode, so will your integrity, your kindness, and your character. And you'll become short-tempered. You'll become more difficult to live with. And it will impact people around you negatively. Paul's saying, don't allow circumstances to control the way you treat other people. There should be something unique about the way you treat people that defies your circumstances. Yet for most of us, our kindness is the result of our circumstances. When life is kind to me, I'll be kind to you. And when life is unkind to me, then I have an excuse to be unkind to the people around me. Paul says, come on, don't allow something that you have no control over your circumstances to take control of your character, which is to be a reflection of God's love and grace to you. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Don't, he's not far. He's not distance, distant. So don't be anxious about anything. Don't be stressed out or distracted by your emotions. Now, that's not very helpful advice, is it? In fact, you kind of hate it. It kind of sounds like your friends or people around you and they go, hey, just don't worry about you. Don't worry about it. And you just want to throat punch them. I mean, you've never once said, wow, I, I hadn't even thought about that. Just don't worry about it. I mean, thank you for that valuable insight and advice. In fact, would you two or three times a day just look at me and say, hey, just stop worrying because that's just so helpful. No, you just want to strangle them because you think the, the reason it's so easy for you to say to me, don't worry about it is because you don't really have a clue as to what it is that I'm going through. And if you heard my sad story, you would be as worried as I am. So Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But he's smart enough to know that he can't just leave it there. And these next two verses give us the secret to handling difficult times and extraordinary anxiety. Times where just things seem, things seem so uncertain and unpredictable that we tend to withdraw and we allow our character to erode and we're worried about everything all the time. Here is the rest of his formula. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every marriage situation, job situation, school situation, financial situation, friend situation, family situation, pandemic, divorce, widowed, widower, bad health report, in every single situation, every time, you're overwhelmed with anxiety and worry and you feel like you're, you feel like you're drowning because of the circumstances. Here's what you're to do. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, if you read that this way, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray. You miss the meaning of this verse. Because we say pray, what do you think I've been doing? I've been praying more in the last three months than I've prayed my whole life. I mean, I pray all the time, God help me, save me, send something, cause something good to happen. But look at this verse again. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, and then Paul uses a word that's not a prayer word because Paul is getting at something that is so important and so rich, but we can miss it. He says, present. In every situation, in, uh, with, by prayer and position and thanksgiving, present, which literally means to reveal. This is a Greek word that is used within the context of discovering the answer to a mystery. Paul's saying, look, I don't want you to just pray like, God, I'm lonely, uh, and God, I need this or I need that. I mean, you can start there. But Paul says, I want you to spend the time necessary to understand yourself and then reveal it what it is to God that at your deepest level of your heart you desire. On the surface, I desire a job, but why? why? Why is it that you really desire that? On the surface, I need to sell this house. Okay, but what's driving that request? Don't just tell God what you want. It's a good place to start, but then reveal to God the deepest, deepest desire of your heart. That is the solution and the antidote and the proper response to times of anxiety and uncertainty. See, times of uncertainty bring to the surface our deepest insecurities and our greatest fears. But very few of us pray at the level of our deepest insecurities and fears. I mean, most of us just pray at the level of here's what I want, here's what I need, in Jesus' name, amen. By the way, it's Thursday. Are you going to take care of this by Saturday? Paul's saying, okay, you can pray that way if you want, but that's not going to help you with your anxiety. 
You need to come to God and get on your knees or on your faith and say, God, here's what I want, but here's why I want it. And here's what I fear, what I fear is going to happen. This is my heart's desire because if you don't come through the way I want, I'm afraid that. Paul says you need to reveal to God maybe something that you've never revealed before. What is behind all of those legitimate requests? And what we discover it is, is security. It's security, concern for my family, my need to feel important, my need to be viewed in a certain way by my peers or my kids or my fear that perhaps God doesn't know my name. Paul says, bring the stuff that answers the question, why is it such a big deal to me? Why am I so concerned? Why am I so worried about fill in the blank? What's underneath all that? And then Paul says, bring that to your heavenly father. Verse seven, and then the peace of God which transcends all understanding, not the peace of circumstances, not I had a great day and I've got another one tomorrow and I've got peace. He says, no, that's the peace of the world and circumstances. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And guard means to stand watch over your heart and your mind. And see, the reason that we are so anxiety-ridden is because We've not invited and allowed our Heavenly Father to stand guard over our hearts and our minds. We just keep trying to get Him to do stuff, to stand guard over my job or my finances or my health or my marital status. God says, I want to stand guard over your heart and your mind. We want Him to stand guard over our kids or my family. And God says, what if you allowed me to stand guard over your heart and your mind? What if you could have peace in the midst of uncertainty? Instead of being stressed out in those moments of high stress and high anxiety, what if you learned to pray in such a way that at the end of your prayer you found peace? Paul, with everything that he had faced and experienced, says in times of uncertainty, we are to pray until the peace comes. We are to stay on our face or our knees, not until the world changes, because the world may not change, not until our circumstances change, because they may never change. We have the opportunity to not simply say, here's what I want, God, but God, here's why I want it. And God, here's why I'm afraid. Here's what I'm afraid will happen if you don't do what I'm asking. And God, I'm afraid because I guess I've still not really learned to trust in you. Help my unbelief. And God says, okay, now we're praying. And if you will keep coming to me, you will emerge into the same world that you came into this prayer with, but you will have something that you didn't have before. You will have the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension and understanding, which means people will look at you and say, hey, you seem to be okay. I'm okay. So did you get the job? No, everything's still the same. In fact, things are worse. My basement flooded, but you seem to be okay. Well, I am okay. But you're not okay because the world's changed you're okay because you changed. C.S. Lewis once wrote, prayer is not for the purpose of changing God, but rather for changing us. Now, I want to give you a place to start. Here's how you can start praying today or tonight. Heavenly Father, I need you too. That's where our prayers start. Heavenly Father, I need this or I need that. Heavenly Father, I need you to provide this. The second part is where it begins to get interesting. Heavenly Father, I need you to fill in the blank. And if you don't, I'm afraid that. What are you afraid of? If you're, if you're a guy, you go, well, I'm not afraid of anything. Yes, you are. You're afraid to admit that you're afraid. I mean, to start with, I mean, what are your insecurities? Well, I'm not insecure about anything. Yes, you are. 
you're just too insecure to know or admit it. But, but begin with your greatest anxiety, especially the thing that causes you to be short-tempered or rude or unkind to the people closest to you. Begin with the thing that you're most stressed about, the thing that if you get a moment just to yourself, your mind just goes there. Because I'm telling you, the peace is available for you who will allow your Heavenly Father to take you to that level of conversation and honesty with your God in heaven. Paul, the prisoner, promised it. In fact, if you're joining us live online, you'd say, you know, Chad, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've experienced the peace of God in the midst of extraordinarily difficult circumstances. Would you just give a hand up emoji in the comments or a thumbs up if you've ever had the peace that Paul is describing? See, this is available. This isn't just what a preacher is supposed to say. Uh, This isn't some magic. Uh, I have experienced this firsthand in my life on more than one occasion. In fact, some years ago, I was going through something that completely rocked my world. And I remember driving one night with one of my sons, who was 18 at the time. And I remembered how he was almost bothered by my level of peace. He kept asking me, how can you be so calm? How can you just still trust God? The peace I was experiencing didn't change any of the circumstances around me, but it created a change in me that others found even unsettling because it made no sense. And I've experienced what Paul is describing. It's God, your Father, inviting you to a new level of intimacy. Have you made your deepest, most hidden requests known to God? And do you even know what it really is? It's God, your Father, inviting you to a new level of intimacy that you may never get to until your world begins to fall apart. Because when life is uncertain, God is not. And God has not lost control. And you don't have to be anxiety-ridden. But you can be anxiety-ridden. Or you can practice and learn to pray in such a way until the peace comes. And then you will know your Heavenly Father in a way that maybe you've never known Him before. And you may be able to look back on these circumstances someday and say, you know what, I'd never sign up for it again, but I wouldn't trade those circumstances for anything and what I discovered about me and about the love of my Heavenly Father. Let me pray for us. Father, I know what I'm talking about. It can be so difficult. Because, God, we can get so wrapped up in our, our circumstances. And, God, I'm, I'm just asking you on my behalf and for everyone that is listening to my voice right now, God. Father, right now, I, I just know in the forefront of their mind are there, is the culmination of their anxieties and fears and insecurities and doubts and everything they're wrestling. And, God, I just pray on their behalf right now that you, you would show up in a tangible way in their heart and in their mind and even in their life and circumstances. But God, that you would bring them the peace that Paul is talking about. God, I I just pray that your spirit would just be strong in us and would just overcome all of the distractions, especially in this season of life that we're all facing in 2020. And God, that you would bring us to a place through the clutter and the chaos of peace. God, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And if you're new to New Life, there's a link in the comments that you can click. I would encourage you to do that. It uh, gives you a chance to connect to our family page, which gives you uh, more of a behind-the-scenes glimpse into New Life and who we are. And 
also, I want to just encourage you. You can message me or reach out to us, if, uh, especially as after what we've talked about today. Maybe there's something very specific in your life, and it is just really overwhelming you, and you would just like somebody to pray with you or to at least be praying for you. Then please message us. Again, if you click that link and join the family page, I will reach out to you personally, and I would just love the chance to connect with you and have the chance to pray for you. Uh, but for sure, one way or another, please be sure to come back and join us again next week. Invite a friend to join us as we continue our series of being able to find hope when the world seems hopelessly broken. Okay, hope to have you then.